Good Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com podcast presented by our good friends at Blue Water Climate Control. Remember, if you have any heating or air need, check them out at BlueWaterClimateControl.com or give them a call at 865-299-2290. They're going to take care of you, take care of you, whatever your needs are, whether it's a routine maintenance, tune-up, clean-out, or you need a major repair, simple repair, whatever it is, they will take care of you at Blue Water Climate Control. Be sure and Tell them we said hello and that we sent you at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com. With Austin Price and Rob Lewis, I'm Brent Hubbs. Plenty to get to on this Tuesday morning as Tennessee's Josh Heifel will meet the media at noon today, along with select players. Rob Lewis, I'll start with you. Is this just the standard, we had a great summer, ready to get this thing started, no real news coming out of Josh Heifel today? Yeah, I would say for the most part, especially since he just, you know, he talked just you know, less than a week ago or less than two weeks ago, SEC media days, and, you know, probably he's going to face a lot of the same questions. Maybe more of a deep dive since it's all local people he'll be facing here. I'm sure, you know, maybe he'll get a little more specific on, you know, individual players, their progress, you know, what what he's looking for from transfers. But I would say for the most part, it's a, you know, like you said, we worked really hard this summer changing the culture and, you know, excited to see what we got here in a few days. Yeah, I mean, there's been a little bit of roster news, um, Austin, with the, the news of Austin Pope and Riley Locklear. Um, Locklear was, you know, fighting to be in the two deep, I guess, and and Pope was a guy who had played a lot of snaps um, and, and was going to factor in for Tennessee as a tight end. But neither one of those news bits of news caught this coaching staff by surprise. And I think at the tight end spot means more pressures on Miles Campbell. He had a good spring. He needs to come out of the gates flying, don't you think, in August? Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and just more opportunity for guys like Jacob Warren and Princeton Fant, who honestly I think fit this offense way better than than Austin Pope did. I mean, Austin Pope, when he was in high school, Brent, super athletic. But, you know, he just – I mean, he is a 50-year-old man in a 23-year-old's body. I mean, he hadn't played in two years, didn't play last year, um, really hadn't played a whole lot of football the last, you know, three or four years because he was even injured before he kind of had that nice stretch run in 2019. So, I mean, is it a loss? Yeah, I guess so. Warm body. I mean, like, it's not like he caught a bunch of passes. He didn't catch any touchdowns during his career. Um, then you, you throw in, you know, you know Riley Locklear, and, I mean, he's never really factored. He's played a little bit here and there, spot duty. Um, and, and, again, I just feel like when you looked at him in spring practice, Brent, and I know you guys weren't out there, I was, he looked like he was 250 pounds working off to the side. It was like one of the – you know, one of those – offensive linemen quit playing football and they're like, I can trim this weight. I don't have to eat a million calories to stay at 300 pounds. That's kind of where it felt like he was in spring. He just, he just looks so much smaller than everybody else. Yep. And obviously wish both those guys the best. I mean, Austin Pope fought through a lot uh, a couple of years ago to help Tennessee, um, you know, particularly in the run game, they asked him to be basically an, an extra offensive lineman and, uh, he willingly did that and helped Tennessee's run game a great deal, and particularly down the stretch of that year uh, for them to get bowl eligible. But um, more opportunities for Miles Campbell. We'll see how the two deep on the offensive line shakes out because, again, Riley Locklear was going to be fighting to try to be in the two deep, which is another reason why I think he walked away from the game uh, after all of the surgeries and the injuries that he had had. So let, let's talk about Wednesday a little bit. Um, you can't have pads. Um, I know Austin, we, we had the, um, or we've got the preview that we're going to run a little bit later today, just kind of talk about what we're looking for. But I mean, 
what do you what do you try to figure out about this team? Not just on Wednesday, but the first three or four days of this of this team's practice. I mean, we get to we get to watch Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Are we going to learn anything about this team in three days? I think you're going to learn. You're going to learn what do these new guys look like? Do they look like they can help? You know, that goes a long way. I mean, you're not going to know for you know a little bit whether they can actually help because you know. Football is played in pads, not played in T-shirts and shorts. Um, but, you know, I think you'll know, hey, that's somebody that can help this football team. You can – you can you, when you see a dude, you just – you know it when you see him. So, same thing like Brandon Turnage. You get up there and he, he passes the eyeball test. He looks pretty good running around. You know, that's at least a step in the right direction. Doesn't mean he's going to be an all-world player. Justin Martin passed the eye test and then just, you know, struggled to put it together on the field. But – you know, I think you're just looking for guys that pass the eye test. I think that goes a long way to seeing whether Tennessee's got some guys that can potentially come in here and help them. Well, nobody's ever passed the eye test better than Darrell Middleton <laughs> or, you know, or somebody like Chris Darnold, for, for that matter. I mean, those are guys that pass the eye test. So yep. I don't think you're going to learn Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to the first routes. Looking forward to the first routes versus air, is that what you said? Yeah, I am. Can't wait to can't wait to get Jesse Simonton's take on that when we get the video up. Well, there'll be a, there'll be a lot of uh, deep dives on, on the quarter on the quarterbacks because that's what everybody's going to be talking about from the first rep that those guys take on the practice field on Thursday. And and we will, I mean, I think Josh Heupel's made it clear how he's going to manage that quarterback room early on. We'll see how quickly somebody can separate them or a couple of guys can separate themselves from from the pack in that room. We all believe that Harrison Bailey and Joe Milton would expect it to be those two. And, and we'll see how quickly that sort of separates themselves in terms of the reps that they give, or if Josh Heupel is going to continue, which he said he would not, you know, with a, everybody get each, gets equal reps. I think he wants to pare it down pretty pretty quickly. So we'll see what happens, you know, with that um, over the course of the next three or four days. We don't, those, you know, the first couple of practices, we're going to get more access than we normally get. I'm interested to kind of see everybody's hot takes, like not, not just the guys with us, but like everybody, because I don't know how many times you go through a, a practice and, you know, you look up and like somebody says this person had a good practice while, you know, somebody else felt like they didn't, or, you know what I mean? Like, like just kind of, the, cause everybody's, I mean, is anybody going to be over on the defensive field? Like, you know, everybody's going to be watching these quarterbacks. So it, every throw is going to be, you know, really, analyzed and, and scrutinized and you know it, it's gonna be fascinating and the fact that they're letting us watch so many periods you know <laughs> i think they want the message out there of who is they don't want any kind of misconception out there because they, they i think the coaching staff's very very well aware that like you know the, the, this quarterback thing is gonna be talked about a lot during fall camp so like i don't think they want to pull punches there like I, I think they would kind of want everybody to see who's doing well if it's Harrison Bailey it's Harrison Bailey if it's Joe Milton or Hendon Hooker or whoever yeah and when's, when's the last time we've had a legit quarterback battle a legit quarterback battle I mean I think we probably all thought that the Quarantano Dormady was a legit battle and but in hindsight I don't think that was the case uh yeah I agree with there I mean legit you know, you had the whole you had the whole deal in 05 where Rick Clawson outplayed Eric Ainge in fall camp. That was the, that's probably the biggest one. I, and I didn't win thought. the job. Uh, you had the Eric Ainge Brent Schaefer deal the year before, 
in 04. That's a good one. Uh, but that's, you know, that's when um, Philip closed practice down. That's what not closed it, but limited the viewing up until, up until 2004, we saw every period of every practice. But he, yeah. He used the two freshman quarterbacks as kind of reasoning for, for channeling that deal down. And so, you, you know, you heard a lot of talk about who did this in practice and who did that, but you did not get to see all of that. Um, I vividly remember. And it all went downhill after that. We can blame I, that on him. That's right. We just blame closed practices, limiting that. I, re- I remember um, standing outside getting ready to interview players in 04. They, were, they had practiced on the baseball field that afternoon, and there was all this buzz from people about some scramble play that Brent Schaefer had made. And, and it was one of those deals where, you know, everybody thought he was going to be the guy immediately. Of course, he started, you know, but everybody talked about how he had separated himself because he could move and how well he ran around. And, of course, you know, Ainge comes on and, and plays, you know, the way he does in the games and obviously was terrific in that Florida game and, you know, goes to Athens, Georgia and beats a top five Georgia team as a freshman on the road. Um you know, Eric doesn't get enough credit for what he accomplished as a freshman. Um, I know he had the injuries after that, but he was, of course, Cutcliffe helped him, you know, the, at the end of his career. But that freshman year, what he did, um, some of the throws he made were, were really unbelievable. But, the, Rob, to answer your question, I think those were really kind of the last two when, when you think about it because – I mean, Tyler I mean, Bray overtook Matt Sims, but that wasn't really a preseason battle. No, no. I mean, I don't think anybody thought that. I mean, Cheney was going to play Matt Sims because he trusted him more. And then they got to the point where Matt Sims couldn't make all the throws that Tyler Bray was making. So what they started Bray in the Memphis game, he threw like five touchdown passes and tore Memphis up. And then he played Ole Miss, I think, the next week at home. But that was not a preseason, hey, who's going to win the job? Who's going to lead the team type quarterback battle? So you didn't have one there. Then you didn't have one obviously with Crompton and Lane's year there, um, you know, Butch never really had one. I mean, the Riley Ferguson, Josh Dobbs deal, never, that was never a quarterback battle in, in any it, way there. Um, it should have been a battle between Worley and Dobbs. <laughs> yeah, but, it's, yeah but, but, it, but, but it wasn't. So this is the first one you've had, you know, in, in probably 15 years or better. So um, a lot of fans going to have a lot of interest in this one because, um if Tennessee's going to win, as Austin said, they're going to have to be – they have to score some points. And so well, – the, the notion that, like, you know, Harrison Bailey's this gamer, and we all, like, everybody loves to pick at Navy guy 44 on the board, you know, because he, he loves Harrison Bailey. That's his notion is he's a gamer. You know, I, I keep saying that he's a gamer. Problem is, is while that may be the case, like, that's not getting him to start in game number one just because he's a gamer. Like, he's got to be more consistent in spring – or in fall, ball, fall camp than he ever was in spring ball. You know, I mean, so and that goes for a lot of these guys, Milton included. He's got to find a way to be consistent. You know, he goes up there and makes a bunch of mental mistakes. I just don't think they're trotting him out there just because he looks pretty. I mean, they're going to go with the best guy. That's why, to me, the guy that was steady Eddie, and, and, and I'm not saying he's the, the guy I think is going to start because I don't think that at all, but the guy that's kind of laying in the weeds on this thing and is, is more steady Eddie than the rest and was the most consistent quarterback in the spring, even though he's more of a check down guy in the spring anyway, was Hendon Hooker. Well, don't don't you think that that this is going to this battle? No, no offense to routes versus air, one on ones. I mean, this is about scrimmage. This is about yep. who plays well in the scrimmages. I mean, you you know you cannot be maybe not the best practice player in, in some of those early periods, 
but it's how you do in seven on sevens periods. It's how you do in the 11 on 11 and how you do in the scrimmages. That, that's to me, that's the separator, particularly the scrimmages who can with a coach standing on the sideline, not behind them, who can run this offense and, and be, you know, be the most consistent player in three or four scrimmages in the preseason. To me, that's how, that's how you win this job. That's not to say you can be bad the rest of the practices because you've got to earn your scrimmage reps, but you're going to win this job based on your scrimmage play, in my opinion. Now, I, Josh Heupel's never told me that. Nobody's ever told me that, but that's my takeaway. Well, they'll get enough work done in, even in, in, in non-scrimmage settings where they'll do 11-on-11 11 11 work that I think you couple all that together um, and, and I think you hit the nail on the head. It's it's kind of like, the you know, well, we were told that Josh Dobbs wasn't ready either. Josh Dobbs was terrible in practice. I remember seeing clips of him during those during those fall camps, like, you know, from people over there that would show me the, the, the clips. And he, he, he just struggled, you know. And, and, you know, but again, got in the game and run around and his arm got better over time. And, you know, I think Tennessee fans would take Josh Dobbs 99 out of 100 times right now. Yeah, and with a mobile guy, too. That you just don't see everything he can do when you're not playing live. That's right. That's right. That's great Very point. Much. Yep. Great point. That's what weekend that Hooker was in spring. I feel like. I mean, part of his game is the ability to move around, kind of like Dobbs. Um, and and he constantly had a no contact jersey on. Yep. So do they? I don't think they letting those guys get hit. But that's another element that Josh Heupel and his offensive staff have to sort through in this fall camp as they try to find their best eleven guys. Uh, offensively and defensively and, and offensively it all starts at that quarterback position which will be the focal point in this the storyline of this fall camp which gets underway later today with Heupel and uh, the the coordinators and players meeting the media and in Tennessee to the practice field on Wednesday morning at nine o'clock and we'll have obviously full coverage of all of that uh, later today and then obviously on on Wednesday as well with uh, practice highlights photos um quick takes and observations and all of those things we'll, we'll have for you plenty of coverage. Um, remember all practices are going to be 9am morning practices. So uh, you're going to get lunchtime coverage instead of supper time coverage in terms of when, when it all hits out there, um, which will be a little bit different, but uh, I think people are certainly going to enjoy all of the coverage that we have coming up for them. All right, let's go to recruiting right quick. Um, Austin Price, Tennessee got busy um, on the recruiting front. And, and got things done. They pick up uh, the safety from Georgia. They, they pick up uh, the, the linebacker from Kentucky. They get Addison Nichols. Um, Caleb Perry and Addison Nichols, not a surprise. Um, little surprise with the other. What, what, let's talk about the three commitments. What do you think of them? Well, I, I, the 22s, let's start with the 22s. Addison Nichols, highest ranked recruit in this class. Um, you know, and I think a, a great get for Josh Heupel and, and this staff. Um, again, I said it the last month that when the kid, when the kid grows up going to Long's and knows Miss Ruthie cooking the hamburgers, you got to land those kids. And you look back at the last several years, obviously they lost Cade before they got him back. They lost Tate Ratledge and his grandmother was a diehard lady of all and his dad pulled the Tennessee decal off his truck. Like they've got to start winning those again. They, they could never, even though they tried, it could never get him play for Evan Stewart, the wide receiver out of Frisco, Texas, who's younger brother and parents all have went to Tennessee, but they're able to land Addison Nichols. I thought that was huge. Uh, Southern Cal made a deep, deep run at him. In fact, you know, even though they weren't in his top three, I think, you know, if distance wasn't a factor, Tennessee may have been in an even bigger dog fight there. I mean, like he really liked Southern Cal a lot. 
Um, but Tennessee gets it done. Big win for Josh Heupel on the recruiting trail. Caleb Perry, we'll see. I mean, he seems like more of a project to me. Smart kid, intelligent kid. One that I think that, you know, will get better over time. But I don't think he's kind of a guy that you're going to be plugging and playing right away. And then, the you know, the first coming to the 23 class and Jack Luttrell, um, kids athletically really, really gifted and can move. Uh, talked to, you know, a couple of different people down in Georgia over the last couple of days who raved about Jack Luttrell, um, you know, to me and said they, they felt like Tennessee got themselves a steal and a great start to the 23 class and uh, a kid that carries himself the right way, a son of a head coach. And so, um, you know, we'll be interested to see how they build off of that. Um, and, you know, obviously they're the, the, the leaders to get, you know, Caleb Herring, um, Elijah's brother. So at 23 class, they just got to continue to build on it um, and then see what they can chip away in 22. Ultimately, their 22 success is going to be determined if they can flip people uh, and then land a potential guys like Joshua Josephs and, and people like that, um, you know, over the course of the fall, if they can win some football games and show some competitiveness and some excitement. All right, let's talk about the, the O-line position. They're, we, we've had a pretty good idea for that board. That board's been pretty deep. Where are they on offensive linemen? Are they done? Are they still recruiting, still actively recruiting? I mean, I, you never stop recruiting. Let me rephrase that. But, but do, you, do you think that they're, they're, they're about done at that position, Austin? They've taken forward this point. Um, I could see them maybe taking one more. Uh, depends on who it is. Um, you know, and, and, and they may leave that spot open and decide to look at the, at the transfer portal. I think it's going to be a, a huge thing going forward for a lot of schools, not just Tennessee, a lot of schools, you know, because it's a lot easier to, you know, try to go get a kid that maybe has played power five and can help you right away than it is waiting, then taking it. Unless, okay, let me compare it. A guy that's a project who's a couple of years away versus a guy that's already on a power five roster that's been in the power five weight room. They're, they're always, I think the, the lean now will be towards the transfer portal in that regard. Not if it's five-star offensive tackle versus portal, that'll be five-star offensive tackle. But if it's kind of your last few spots remaining, instead of taking a reach or a, a developmental guy, I think schools are going to be more apt to go to the portal. Rob, how many would you hold if you're a head football, if you're a college football coach? You got 25 spots. How many you hold? I think it's fluid depending on, you know, what your roster situation is. Like, you know, if, if you're Alabama and you just have the next crop of four star, four and five stars coming up, then, you know, maybe you only hold one or two for a specific position that maybe you don't feel great about. If you're Tennessee where you could use help everywhere, I mean, I might consider holding five. And, depending on the year. But in this, in Tennessee's current situation, I don't think that's outlandish. I mean, not, not looking at what they just did this offseason. Well, that was going to say, if, if you're Josh Heupel and, and what you've just gotten done, if those guys, if you hit on those guys and you have success, does that cause you to think more, hey, let's hold, let's hold more because of how effective we were a year ago versus if you get, you know, you got eight guys coming in and, and you're not going to get, you don't think you're going to get a ton of contribution out of some of those guys. Do you say, ah, okay, maybe the, the portal's not worth it. I guess does could the value of the portal in a coach's mind vary by the success he has the previous year with the portal? Sure. I think that that will probably influence your, your thinking going forward. Just, you know, how it worked out for you when you did take such a big plunge. I mean, if you, you know, if you get, if you get snake bit, you'd probably be a little gun shy going forward. But, you know, as you say, if, if, five or six of these guys hit, then you're, that probably really influences how you're going to view it in the future. 
Austin is is Tennessee slowing down now. I mean, is is it going to be pretty quiet here? You think in August? I mean, kids are getting ready to play. We've gone. It's gone back quiet. You, you think they're? And we had an idea of what was coming this last week, but do you, do you think it's going to slow down until September? You think there'll be little to no news, or, or what do you think? Could be a couple. I mean, we talked about Alec Ao Manor. Um, He's going to do uh, something in August, right? Middle, middle of August. Um, the Nimrod kid from Arkansas. He'll uh, probably do something middle of August. Um, Caden Pope, I think, still September. Quintel Jones, September. Um, you know, but just maybe a couple of guys, those couple of receivers. Um, outside of that, I do think it'll be relatively quiet. It'll be relatively quiet across college football. Yeah, I mean, I, because everybody's got to get ready and focus on playing. Going to be uh, worth noting, what does Tennessee do receiver-wise? How many are they going to ultimately end up taking um, on the receiver front is something that everybody, you know, we're all keeping an eye on to see, you know, how, how, how deep are they going to go at the receiver position in this class? Um, that seems like it may be fluid depending on how some other positions are going in recruiting. So uh, that's worth noting and keeping an eye on uh, throughout the course of, of the next month. I mean, a little surprise they offered the kid from Bentonville, uh, Arkansas, Nimrod. Were you a little surprised by that one? No, I wasn't surprised. I knew that they'd been kind of recruiting him uh, under the radar. And then, you know, once he you know had the personal workout and, you know, ran well enough, um, that they, they decided to hop in there and, and pull the trigger. I mean, like my only concern there, and, and, and again, I mean, I watched his tape, I, you know, seems like a fine kid, good player, um, is Bentonville is like fairy get to Knoxville to, from Fayetteville. Like, I mean, like, I mean, like if Arkansas is not offered, like, you know, like when, when you saw at Utah State, Indiana, like that, that, that's kind of, you know, it just seems odd at least it does to me, if a kid that close, you know, now granted Tennessee doesn't always offer local kids if they're not sold on because they're afraid that if they do, they're going to jump in the boat. Um, you know, just it, that, that, that's the one thing that's the head scratcher for me. Well, and it's an Arkansas program that's throwing it a lot. They do a lot of offensive stuff similar to what Josh Heupel's wanting to do at Tennessee in terms of how much they throw the ball um, with, with their system under brows and, and what Josh Heupel has done for years as well. All right, let's, um, Let's, let's turn it to the hoops world right quick. Now I'll circle back around a, a, a little bit more big picture college football as we close it out. Um, John Fulkerson's got a pals deal. Kennedy Chandler has got a sports card deal. I think is what it is. Rob Lewis for basketball. It's been about, it's been about making a little money this week for, for those guys um, as, as coaches are, I guess, on the road trying to finish up a little recruiting in the month of July, right? They're, they're done now, correct? They're done now. And yeah, I mean, the Fulkerson thing, I think everybody saw that coming. But I, I think in hoops, with the exception, I mean, I think you're going to have the young kids that that somebody is already, you know, like Kennedy, who whoever is signing them up is hoping to, you know, piggyback this, this year's deal into, you know, continuing to have a relationship with them once they're in the NBA. Or guys like Fulkerson, who there aren't going to be many of those that are around for four years, or in John's case, six. And, you know, and have a lot of name recognition. They're local guys, you know, that have been embraced by the fan base. So, to me, I mean, I, I just – I don't think you're going to see a lot of it. Just because, again, you know, I've said it before, there's not a lot of freshmen and tradition like, you know, Zion Williamson or someone like that. Those guys don't come around very often. And there aren't a ton of good, productive – all conference caliber players that are around until they're seniors like Fulkerson. Yeah. It's, it, 
basketball um, may not have the big, I mean, big pri- I mean, they'll have some for those one and done guys, but you're right. There may not be as, as many, you know, mid-level deals for a lot of guys because of the way the basketball world works with guys going to the league and um, all of that type of stuff. So um, what else going on in hoops in, in terms of just anything going on with summer workouts, anything of note in the basketball world right now? Uh, nothing major. I mean, I, I put this in the war room, but <clears throat> this just goes to show you how seriously Coach Barnes takes off-season work. That last week they were in Orlando for three days, but the camp, the the part of the camps, the coaches, college coaches could come in and watch were only in the afternoons. So Rick flew home on, you know, practice Tuesday morning or did, you know, workouts with his players on Tuesday morning, flew to Orlando. Uh, then they didn't have workouts on, on Wednesday morning, but then moved practice to like 8 a.m. Thursday morning, flew home Wednesday night, did his workouts, and then flew back and watched, you know, four or five games. So, I mean, that's, that's, uh, that tells you just, you know, how seriously he takes that stuff. And, um, you know, I think nothing different to report. You know, Fulkerson, I think, is on schedule to, to kind of bounce back from the, the broken wrist on on time. I mean, no, no setbacks there. He's getting the cast. May, may have gotten the cast off already, but I was told last week that's coming off soon. Uh, Kennedy Chandler has, has continued to dazzle. One guy who's quietly, you know, I've, I've heard heard this – about him, so I'm not going to hype it up too much. I mean, I've heard about it in the past, and it hasn't shown up on the court. But uh, Coach is happy with, with Olivier Camois, what he's got done this summer um, in the weight room and on the floor. You know, we'll see if that translates. And um, Huntley Hatfield, the way that they talk, the talk about him in July compared to June really kind of shifted gears about, and, and not so much in his skill set, but just the way his mental approach to practice, not that he was bad or anything in June, but just he, he was really learning how to work. And, and that, that impressed the staff. All right. So as we close it out on, um, in the close out, whoa, whoa, this whoa, whoa, whoa. we got to give the update on Mac McClung. He's with the Lakers. It's a big deal, Rob. I did, did, did not even know that AP. And right LeBron on. James, one, two punch championship. Flown under my radar. <laughs> All right, as we as we close it out, let's swing back to college football. We don't know if it's we don't know how true it is or it isn't. But what what do you make of the story that Clemson and Florida State might have reached out to the SEC about joining the league? It's not shocking. I mean, you called it, Brent. You said this. Listen, they're they're not done. It's going to be further expansion. So I mean, it's not shocking, and those two make the most sense. You know, Florida State. You know, they want to be a big timer. So does Clemson, and they're stuck in a league where they just, you know, it, it, it's hard to separate. You know, Clemson has been able to win some national championships, uh, you know, despite being in the ACC, and Florida State obviously won one, you know, less than a decade ago. So th- those two make the most sense, you know, because, you know, they have been able to get to the top of the mountain in, in somewhat recent history. Yeah, I mean, I would – I mean, this is a little hyperbolic, but Clemson's almost like Gonzaga in, in football. I mean, with how how far the ACC has fallen in, in recent years. I mean, they, I mean, they managed, like AP said. I mean, it really hasn't slowed them down. But uh, I mean, they played a league where you know recently the Gulf has been pretty vast. And I know they've been upset a couple times. Pittsburgh got them a couple years ago, but by and large, it's, it's just non-competitive for them in, in their conference. And I can, I mean, I've always thought Clemson fit the SEC. I mean, for forever. 
make that a what how many would that make it? They would 18, take both of them, 18. Yeah. Eighteen. I still I still think it's gonna end up at twenty with four or five team pods when it's all said and done. I, I think that's where it's gonna get if, if enough people can get out of their deals. Now the question is can somebody like Clemson, Florida State get out of you know, how hard is it to get out of their deal with the ACC? Um, but got a lot of money and everybody wants to be with the group that's going to dictate the direction of college football. And that's, that certainly looks like at this point in time, it's going to be the SEC with the way that they're going. So I just think there's so much more money in a potential SEC playoff before you get to the playoff, you know, I mean, and I mean, honestly, if, if, if you're, if you're a program that's had some success, that just sounds fun. Like, you know, kind of have that, you know, do the, the semifinals at the home stadiums and then take it to the, you know, to Atlanta for the and, championship. And I, I, would, I would also guess that Clemson's thinking has really been influenced by the expansion of the playoffs. I mean, now, you know, I think that was a strong argument to stay in the ACC is their path to the playoff every year was just so easy. And now, you know, you don't have to go 12-0 to get the, to get there. Yeah, that's, that's – that's That and I mean, both those teams, I think, are the, their thought process probably changed because – with Texas getting in, even though Texas A&M is already in the league, South Carolina and Florida have less of an argument. That's true because South Carolina would certainly protest in Clemson. Yeah, and they you and know, now a they have an argument. Right, A&M's voted A&M voted for it and, and everything else. I, you know, I think at the end of the day, it comes about money. I will say this: you're right, AP. You get 20 teams in this deal, that'd be a hell of a run to win a conference championship. I mean, it'll be it'll be a serious run to win a conference championship in, in this league if that's what it turns into. Bottom line, the landscape is changing essentially daily uh, in college football and college athletics as we keep a close tab on what may or may not happen further with, with expansion. We know obviously Texas and Oklahoma are coming. Certainly feels like more teams are coming sooner rather than later. But for now, what is happening sooner rather than later is football at the University of Tennessee. Fall camp opens up tomorrow. We'll have full coverage of that, full coverage later today of Josh Heupel, his coaches, and his players as they meet the media for a preseason media day. That's going to do it for this edition of the Blue Water Climate Control VolQuest.com podcast. For Rob Lewis and Austin Price, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, everybody.